Hey everybody, how are we doing? How are we recovering after what is considered one of the greatest days in motorsport? Yeah, yesterday, I mean, we had the, in the morning, depending on where you're watching from, I guess, I'm watching from the United States, so for me, it's in the morning, but, uh, you know, the first race we had on deck was the Monaco Grand Prix. Following that, actually, kind of overlapping due to the situation with the Monaco Grand Prix, which we'll talk about in a second. We had the Indy 500. And then later on in the day, we had the NASCAR Coca-Cola 600. So overall, some of the most prestigious races for each of their respective series. Uh, they were all unique and interesting in their own right. I mean, I could go on all day talking about the Indy 500 and Coca-Cola 600 as well. But mega props when we're talking the Indy 500. First of all, to Marcus Erickson. For those familiar with F1, Marcus Erickson was a Sauber driver. Uh, didn't really quite have a stellar career in F1, but, you know, like we've seen other drivers do, he was able to transfer his skills over to IndyCar. And, man, he has had some great success. And now he's been capping off a part of his career with an Indy 500 win. And, 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 and Marcus Erickson now leads the championship battle. So, Pretty cool seeing that crossover, that IndyCar F1 crossover. Mad props to Marcus Erickson. Uh, Well-ran race. I mean, the Indy 500, just just to hop on that quick, you know, we had Grosjean, Dan Tictum. We had all these names that we know. Juan Pablo Montoya, Tony Kanaan, like some Alexander Rossi. I could go on, and it was just Paddle Award, possibly a future F1 star. Colton Herta, all featured in that race. So I do highly recommend watching IndyCar. It's it's a series on the rise. I think it's gaining popularity. I think uh, the competition is good. The talent is good there. So I highly recommend, if you have the chance, to give IndyCar a try. Because it's, it's definitely a series that deserves the recognition and notoriety. And, and another series, too, uh, NASCAR. You listen, NASCAR has had its share of uh, lackluster moments in the last, like, eight years or so. But... I think, too, it's starting to make a comeback. We're starting to see a new generation of drivers. I mean, we oh, we were so close to having... We were, like, so close yesterday to having an interesting trifecta. We almost had Sergio Perez winning the Monaco Grand Prix. Well, we did have Sergio Perez winning the Monaco Grand Prix. But then we almost had Pato Award, another Mexican, winning the Indy 500. And Daniel Suarez looks strong as a Mexican driver, too, in the Coca-Cola 600. Unfortunately, for the Indy 500 and Coca-Cola 600... It did not materialize for those Mexican drivers. But, man, that was something I was kind of pulling for the whole day once I knew Sergio Perez had won the Monaco Grand Prix. But we're not really here to talk NASCAR. We're not here to talk Indy. We're here to talk Formula One. So yesterday was the 2022 Monaco Grand Prix. And I know we don't really have high expectations ever going into Monaco. Like, we never circle the calendar and be like, yeah, Monaco's here. We're going to see some, uh, you know amazing racing we're gonna see some great things happening no we we know that we know what it's about we know what the monaco grand prix is about we know that it's going to be roughly based on what happens in qualifying on saturday and barring anything you know dnfs or some kind of chaos with a safety car red flag we're not going to see much change in those positions but 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 the 22 monaco grand prix uh, ended up throwing us a few curveballs. And, and it started really right off the bat. Well, first of all, to touch on the practice weekend, I mean, you got to give props to Charles Leclerc or Charles Leclerc. He did an amazing job all weekend in first practice one and FP2. 
in qualifying, he he was looking strong. He was he was showing why he's the leader of Ferrari, and and I really thought the way his form looked this weekend, you were thinking that this was going to be the race. This was the race where Charles Leclerc would would just reestablish his championship lead and show that Monaco curse that you know I guess exists for Charles Leclerc that that curse is a myth and that he was going to be back and reestablish this championship lead and and for a while it looked like that was true and then Saturday happened oh sorry then something happened so for the record just a little side note here so I was actually away in Virginia all Saturday and Sunday and part of Friday but Friday, I was able to watch FP1, FP2 because I was in New York where we have, you know, normal cell phone service. In Virginia, <laughs> we have no service. So, thankfully, one of my buddies, I actually was using his phone. He managed to have some cell phone service. So, one of my buddies, I was literally streaming, qualifying, and the race off an iPhone screen. So, if I missed anything, because sometimes it was really annoying. I, I hacked, like, we left Sunday, so... I was using my phone for the race on Sunday, and it seemed like every time there was a big moment, my service would drop, and then I had to, like, restart it and pick up. It was only for, like, seconds, but, you know, I'm always afraid to lose a second or two in the uh, the world of F1. But, so, yeah, I was watching qualifying, and actually I ended up missing that little accident that Sergio Perez had, which kind of foreshadowed our podium later on, which was pretty interesting. But, anyway, so, you know, qualifying happens, you know, you, you're looking at it, you know, you have... Charles Leclerc on pole, Carlos Sainz second, Sergio Perez third, and then Max Verstappen fourth, which Max, not one of his greatest weekends, but Sergio Perez, man, on fire the whole weekend too. I think him along with Charles and maybe even Carlos Sainz were really doing their job that they had to do. And, you know, um, going into the Monaco Grand Prix, it looked like fairly straightforward for the Ferrari duo that, you know, all they had to do was run their race. And, uh, you know, we'd see Charles Leclerc celebrating on the podium with a win. But Ferrari never likes making things easy for us. So, of course, the Monaco Grand Prix is about to start. I'm eating my breakfast in the backwoods of Virginia, right? And, uh, you know, I hear the race is delayed. And I'm like, oh, no, don't tell me it's like spog. And, you know, you, you get that first message, it's like delayed till 9.09. Then at 9.15, and I'm hearing they're talking about rain. And I'm looking at the TV screen, and there was, like, no rain on the track. I mean, yeah, there was that one little instance, but it went away pretty quick. And I was like, what are the FIA doing? What are the race directors doing? It just goes back to Spa last year, where Spa was a little, more, a little bit more understandable because we knew there was standing water. We knew that... It was probably a little dangerous, especially the way Spa is constructed with those downhills and uphills. But at Monaco, we were genuinely confused. And you could tell even, I think it was Crofty was saying, why are they not, or Martin Bundle, like, why are they not starting the race? Like, this does not make any sense. And, you know, apparently, I guess it came out later on that there were some issues with the electricity and things. But again, why the FIA just is not transparent with this at all. You know, they're making it seem like that it's because of the rain, but it wasn't. And we have extreme red tires. We have intermediate tires. Where It's a series that is meant to be raced in certain conditions. Obviously, you know, egregious weather conditions are not acceptable. But we could have raced 
in those conditions and pinning it on the weather, just just tell us we're not going to be offended. You know, shit happens. It it does. You know, I wasn't going to be upset if they said, oh, it was delayed because of, you know, uh, a traffic, uh, you know, a light condition or electricity condition. It happens, and and that's fine. But nevertheless, the Monaco Grand Prix got started, and uh, you know, the first half of the race, you know, there were some interesting strategies. I think we had Pierre Gasly on uh, what he stick with the intermediates at first. He was he was one of the first to uh, kind of experiment, and man, his pace was his pace was looking good. Pierre Gasly was providing us with some. You know, it's funny because people always say you can't overtake at Monaco, but here's Pierre Gasly like just weaving through the field like it was nobody's business, and. I know, obviously, at a pace superiority, but it was kind of interesting and cool to see some of those moves he made. And some of those were, like, quite cheeky moves, too, right? Like, they weren't your simple, basic Monaco moves, you know, on the straightaway. He, and, you know, think back to last year where we had that interruption of uh, Lance Stroll where Pierre Gasly was making moves and overtakes. So if there's a guy that you can trust to overtake at Monaco, I guess, I guess you could say it's Pierre Gasly, but... Uh, dude had himself an interesting start to the race and, uh, then we kind of settled in for a while and the race was doing its thing, you know, and you know, there's Charles Leclerc kind of just killing it, doing a great job. We're looking at it. We're like, oh yeah, typical, typical race, typical Monaco, nothing really quite entertaining going on. Oh, but then things would change and boy, did things change quickly. So, the race, again, is starting off, again, like we said, quite interesting. You know, the rain starts going away. The track starts drying out. We have Perez pit for P4. Um, he gets on the inters, returns in P5, right? Then we had Leclerc and Verstappen both pit for their inters. The Ferraris came in, and then they were on the hard tires. And then the Red Bulls double stack. And that was at that moment. At that moment. You know, where Leclerc decided that, you know, as he had a pit, <laughs> um, you know, as Charles Leclerc is coming into the pit, Ferrari was like trying to wave him off, say, no, 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 and just completely botched his race. You got a feel for Charles Leclerc, man. Like, I don't know. It was, it was rough. Um, you would have thought that, with oh man I don't know the pace they had both Ferraris looked strong both Ferraris should have definitely won that race and you know we know Sainz had some bad luck Sainz basically dictated the strategy to Ferrari telling him no 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 I want slicks and you know Charles Leclerc was coming in and they said pit pit and they said no and it was way too late and Charles got stuck man and I just don't get why they wouldn't have covered the Red Bulls like Dude, all they had to do, all Ferrari had to do was cover Red Bull. And and they didn't. They didn't. And because of that, it cost Charles Leclerc. Not just a victory, a podium. Just, it sucks. Because this looked like the race where Ferrari could have had some redemption. Where Charles Leclerc could have had some redemption. After, you know, reliability issues the last race. Just not being up to speed the last couple of races. This could have been the race. And they bought strategy. I mean, and it reminds you of just so many other times where you've seen Ferrari do this. Going back to 2018 where we've seen Ferrari. Maybe even 2017 where you just see Ferrari 
botching strategy calls, boxing when they're not supposed to, um, just messing up overall the strategy. And it's pain. It's pain. It's going to cost them. It could end up costing them. If we look back at the last race of the season and we end up finding out that Ferrari is not a winner, we're going to look back to Monaco. We're going to look back to Spain. These moments where they just simple mistakes that didn't have to be made and were made, whether it be reliability, uh, whether it be Charles Leclerc's spin, um, whether it be this strategy call at Monaco. It's just these little things that make the difference, as we've seen in championship battles. And Charles Leclerc really cannot afford to keep having that happen to himself. It's it's insane. It's it's crazy. It's not fair. I feel bad for Ferrari fans. And I don't know what else to say. I mean, I feel bad for the Monegasque, you know, Charles Leclerc. I feel bad for the fans from Monaco that just want to see the Charles Leclerc victory because you really don't know. You really don't know the way this sport is if you'll get another chance like this. This this felt like it was the one chance for Charles. And, you know, his, his team has finally got the pace to win, to fight for race wins. They were solid all race weekend long. He did what he had to do in FP1 and FP2. He did what he had to do in quali. And, and just, it didn't happen. It didn't materialize. And you know what, though? That is motorsport, right? That's, that's why we watch it. We don't watch it for predictability. We watch it for the unpredictable moments. But, man, it, it's painful to see. It's painful to watch happen live. And I was feeling, I felt the same anger when Charles Leclerc yelled on the radio. It was actually kind of funny because it's not funny for Charles. But we were barbecuing and, you know, a lot of my American friends. I have one, you know, I was with one Italian dude, kind of from Italy. Um, well, he's actually, like, legitimately from Italy. Not a big racing fan, but he likes racing. Knows the deal, knows Ferrari, right? Like, there's a little Italian pride there. My other buddy's a truck mechanic, so a lot of his uh, co-workers actually watch Formula 1. So he gets into it. So we're cooking up our eggs for our breakfast. And at that moment, as we're cooking, it's, like, perfectly quiet. And you can just hear Charles Leclerc cursing on the radio and... uh one of my buddies goes, ah, he sounds kind of angry. I'm like, yeah, they uh, they completely messed up the strategy call for Ferrari. Charles Leclerc isn't going to win his home race. And he's like, ah, okay. Uh, but, I mean, incredible, just, oh, classic Ferrari. But there were some other interesting things going on in the race. Um, something that, that, listen, undoubtedly created a whole bunch of controversy and... I don't know what way you want to see it, but we have to talk about Fernando Alonso. And I'm, I'm literally saying this with a smile on my face. Not not because, listen, was it, was it the, uh, was it the most uh, sportsmanlike job by Fernando Alonso? No. Was it kind of a veteran move? Um, maybe. <laughs> but basically, uh, Fernando Alonso is told to, uh, you know, conserve his tires at one point in the race. And, he literally set up a queue of drivers. Like, there had to be drivers. I think Alonso was, what, P7? So I think from every driver that was still in the race, he basically parted the seas. There was one lead group from first through sixth, kind of on their own meandering, you know, up from Perez down to Norris. And then from Fernando all the way to the back was a separate group. And that first group almost caught the back group because Alonso basically backed off about, like, five seconds a lap or something like that. Just for tire conservation and he parked that alpine 
in the right spots and Lewis Hamilton cannot get past. He created a train and it caused an uproar on social media. And Listen, whether you like Fernando, whether you have certain opinions on Fernando going back to, you know, 2007, um, you got to admit the 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 cheekiness of him was something to behold. Um, <laughs> I I don't know, and you know Fernando Alonso did not hold back, basically saying, you know, I, I'm not going to apologize for that. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to apologize for my uh, cheekiness. You know, it's not my job to worry about other drivers. It's other drivers to make either the attempt to pass and do what they're supposed to or you know stay where they are and yeah it's monaco i know overtaking is a prime but fernando's not exactly wrong he's he's telling it like it is he's it's not fernando's job to worry about the drivers behind him it's the drivers behind him to worry about getting past fernando and you could complain all you want about monaco and you know making moves and finding the opportunity to pass it's just that it was the way it happened in that race, and I don't know. I I get it. I get why people are angry. I don't think it was... Like I said, I don't think Fernando's wrong. But on the other hand, I don't think it was the most sportsmanlike move. But again, you know, that's racing. And, uh, you know, sometimes... You know, ultimately, you got to make a... You gotta make it an attempt to pass, and you gotta you gotta make it, I guess, on your own. If if someone's going that slow, and you know, while we might feel bad, I guess there's not much more we can say about that. You know, um, Fernando did what he had to do, and then he just kind of drove away after once he was good. Um, but it happens, and uh, you know, there's not much more we could say about that. There's not much more we could say with Fernando doing what Fernando did. Um, other drivers with some interesting races, uh, man, the Haas duo. It kills me because as an American, I want to see Haas do well. Um, I like K-Mag. I like Mick Schumacher. Obviously, I think there's not one person in the room who doesn't want Mick to do well, but Monaco was not a great showing for the Haas duo. Again, both with DNFs, the first double DNF this year for them, but more importantly, uh, you know, Kevin Magnussen looked solid until he had that water pump issue, obviously, affected his race big time. But, um, you know, Mick Schumacher, I, I get it. He was only a few centimeters off. And I know, you know, with the tires being the tire situation, be what they were with it being Monaco. But, oh, man, Haas cannot afford to keep having cars break like that and I'm glad Mick is okay because it looked like a scary accident you never like seeing a car split in two it's always scary to see that but the Haas duo just Haas racing can't afford to keep having their cars be damaged it it's gonna come a point they're one of the most financially strapped teams and this is the second big accident Mick has had I think last time cost well over a million this is probably gonna cost another million right so it's painful to see. Uh, we know what the budget cap is. We know that that situation is very, very difficult. And just every time you see Haas having that issue and Mick having that issue, you got to wonder. I mean, listen, Gunther has had a lot of patience. Gunther Steiner has had a lot of patience with Mick. But eventually, you know, last name or not, and as nice of a guy as may be, 
you know, the patience is going to wear thin eventually. So Mick's really got to really step up his game. I was actually talking to one of my buddies the other day, too. It's like, it's almost like we know Mick has the talent. Mick has proven himself to be a talented driver, but it's almost like last year he drove with no pressure. And this year now he's maybe feeling a little heat from K-Mag. And he's really got to step it up. He's got to find a way to do better. He's got to be better. And uh, hopefully he can because I want to see Mick do well. Um, going back to the McLaren duo too, man. I know I feel like all this week was about Danny Rick. Uh, if you turned on any type of social media, if you turned on any type of F1 reporting, the talk was about Danny Rick and Zach Brown's comments. And going into one of Danny Rick's, what had been one of his favorite tracks... He likes the street circuits. I think it suits his style when he can drive the car like he wants. And, uh, you know, he had the FEA, which I guess is supposed to be, you know, FML on the back of his helmet. Uh, you know, I think he said something too, like, uh, no, is my skin tan, um, clean or smooth, but it's, uh, it's thick too. So, um, <laughs> Danny Rick not holding back on how he feels about those latest comments. And, he just didn't have a good Monaco Grand Prix again. Finished down out of the points. And uh, Lando Norris, again, for supposedly being as sick as he was with some tonsillitis, came on P6. He was in that front group that was not held up by Fernando Alonso. So uh, props to Lando again. And he also set the fastest lap. I think he had a little gap to uh, pit for tires. Again, thanks to Fernando Alonso. So uh, Lando Norris setting the fastest lap and getting another solid amount of points. So props to Lando Norris for another great race and it's just you got to feel for Danny Rick I, I want him to turn the season around he's been strong at Baku before I hope he can be strong at this race right now in Azerbaijan coming up he needs to turn the season around and I hope he does it soon uh the Mercedes duo too George Russell again with another top five finish incredible incredible that George has been able to just be as consistent as he has in a Mercedes that Oh, yet again, I know, I I can't believe I took the bait. I was feeling the pump after uh, Barcelona. I said, there's no way Mercedes is at the back anymore. Mercedes is going to be battling for the front. And, and they come to Monaco, and it looked like before Barcelona all over again, Mercedes was just struggling to keep pace. And for all the hype we had coming out of Barcelona, that Mercedes is back, Mercedes is back. They They figured out everything. They had no speed. Uh, so frustrating because honestly, I want to see that duo do well. I want to see what it's like. I want to see that dynamic. I want to see Lewis. I want to see Lewis fighting with, you know, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc and maybe even Sergio Perez. I want to see that battle at the front featuring Lewis. And it's just, I don't think it's going to happen, but we see how quick fortunes can change in Formula One. So we got to be patient. We got to see, but. Man, I want that battle at the front to be like that because that would be so cool. Just picturing, you know, the young generation versus older generation. You could even count like, just imagine if you had for a second, right? And we know Verstappen's been here for a while, but he's really part of that newer generation of drivers. Him along with Charles, along with George Russell, Carlos Sainz. Imagine that group battling like the older, more veteran, more experienced of Sergio Perez and Lewis Hamilton. I just think it would be such a cool dynamic, and uh, you know, we don't. We're probably not going to get it this year, but the potential is still there. I'm like holding on to like a slight thread, but you know, Lewis would need a miracle to even get close. 
But that brings us into the final part of this race, right? This final uh, leg, which comes to Sergio Perez getting the W. Sergio Perez getting the win. Um, and, of course, again, this goes back to, oh, my God, FIA race direction again, again. It's like we got rid of Michael Massey, but we haven't figured out any of the problems that existed. Because, and I said this in my blog too, like, okay, so we have new race directors, we've rearranged how the procedures go during the race, and we still have issues. We had issues, you know, Ferrari protested Red Bull because of the pit lane exit. They protested both Sergio and Max because of how they exited pit lane and the incident was noted and then never really followed up on we didn't get any message of it until way after i think it was like two hours after the race we got a message on it so kind of insane there and maybe it's not the race director maybe that's just a portion of it maybe we really do need to examine how the rules are written and what we can do to fix those rules and make them more clear because it's obvious that there are still issues and we shouldn't be waiting two hours after the Monaco Grand Prix. Just like we shouldn't have had to wait two hours after the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix to know who our race winner is, who our championship leader is, who our championship winner is. These things shouldn't happen in a professional sport. The rules are there. You need clear-cut rules. The rules need to be followed. And just give us some transparency. That's all I'm asking. It would make things a lot better if we had more transparency. I think that's where a lot of the anger comes from the fans. And just follow the rules. The rules are written there for a reason. If you think the rules need to be rewritten, rewrite them. Change them. But don't leave us in the dark trying to figure out if the race is official or not. So anyway, rant over. On a more lighter note, Sergio Perez... Redemption weekend. Sergio was on fire all weekend long. And I wouldn't have said he was a dark horse to win the race, but I wouldn't have counted him out the way he looked in qualifying, of course, with that little scrub with the wall, the way he looked as the race started. Sergio Perez was clearly driving in Monaco with Barcelona still in the back of his head. And Sergio did what he had to do. Listen, he wasn't the fastest car. But strategy played into his hands, and when he had that track position, he held on to it, even with Carlos Sainz breathing down his neck. Sergio Perez stayed strong and drove that Red Bull to a well-deserved Monaco Grand Prix win. Which brings us back to Barcelona. In Barcelona, Sergio demonstrated he had pace. He was not allowed to overtake Max Verstappen as Red Bull was prioritizing Max in the championship battle. But, but, Sergio has this year turned it up another gear. And this result at Monaco just proves it yet again. So my question is, what do we think Red Bull should do? Because right now, if we look at the standings, this championship battle, there is only 15 points between Max and Charles and Sergio. 15 points separate Max from Sergio and third. Personally, I know if we're thinking back to like the Vettel Weber days, we know that Red Bull probably does not want 
a fight on their hands again. They don't want a multi-21 on their hands again. But at some point, if Sergio cements himself as being above Max in some of these races, that question is going to come there. What does Red Bull do? Do they prioritize drivers? Do they let them have at it? Personally, as a fan, I would love to see them have at it. With only 15 points between them. It would be... I would hope it would not be like (laughs) Nico and Lewis, but... Damn, Sergio belongs in that championship fight. He, He is a legitimate championship contender this year. And... You know, if he has another good race, we're going to have to start another good race soon. We're going to have to start asking that question and we're going to need an answer to it Uh, because, man, he looks like he is on another level this year. And, you know, that could be our three way battle. And if things shape up, you know, get a little closer, we could see George sneaking in there, depending on what Mercedes is able to do. Carlos is right there, too. So maybe we got ourselves a little a little slim chance at a five-way championship battle. But there is no doubt in my mind right now that we have a three-way championship battle. And going into Azerbaijan, we're going to be watching Sergio Perez. We're going to be seeing what he's doing. What if he out-qualifies Max again? What if he lines up ahead of Max on the grill? On the grill. On the grid. Thinking Memorial Day barbecue grills. Um... What is going to be the answer to that question? So, yeah, I mean, Sergio, I'm, I was happy for the dude, man. If there was somebody that deserved a race win like that, it was Sergio Perez. And his Monaco Grand Prix win, well-deserved. He had the hat, the hat, the helmet of Pedro Rodriguez, too, on his uh, head. All right, He was wearing the helmet of Pedro Rodriguez. So just really a special moment overall. And, you know, for what it's worth... The Monaco Grand Prix, I know people have their issues with it. It's not great for racing. We know that. But, you know, sometimes, sometimes we get those good moments at Monaco. And and it'll probably be on the calendar to stay. I just think it's tradition. And uh, I don't think Formula One's going to want to change it soon. Plus, it brings out, we know Monaco brings out all the A-listers and things like that. So, it's here to stay. Maybe not the most entertaining of races, but... Hopefully you guys enjoy the Monaco Grand Prix. Um, I guess we'll be back with it next year. It would be so cool if they could just find a way to make some areas of the track more suitable for overtaking. I don't know. It would probably take like a whole rebuilding of the city infrastructure. But you know what? Maybe they got a lot of money. Maybe they can figure it out. But yeah. So I don't know. Feel free to share what you guys thought of the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, follow us on Twitter at F1 Idiots. And then feel free to follow us uh, on our website, our blog at www.f1idiots.com. I'll be back with you guys for a podcast probably in the middle of the week or maybe next week. I don't know. i got to see how I'm feeling. As you can tell, my allergies have been killing me this week, so my voice isn't that great. But I'll be talking to you guys next week about our little preview going into the Azerbaijan Grand Prix and hopefully catching you up with some of the latest and greatest F1 news. Thanks again for listening, guys. And as always, again, don't follow, don't forget to follow us on our website, www.f1idiots.com or on Twitter at F1Idiots. Thank you and have a wonderful week.